take your hymn books and let's turn to page number 169, 169, there is power in the blood, amen, as we get started tonight, 169, would you be free from the pain of sin, there's power in the blood, power in the blood, would you are evil a victory win, there's wonderful power in the blood, there is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood, there is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb, would you be free from your passion and pride, there's power in the blood, power in the blood, come for a cleansing to Calvary's side, there's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Would you be whiter, much whiter than snow? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Sin stains are lost in its life-giving flow. There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. On that last would you do service for Jesus you keep? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you live daily his praises to sing? There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. All right, let's take a few favorites tonight. Has anybody got a favorite hymn they would like to sing other than somebody without Montoro's or last name? All right. Let's see. Anybody at all? Okay. Hmm? Yesterday, today, forever? Oh, 402. Yes. There we go. Like a River Glorious, 402. Let's sing the first and the last. Like a river glorious is God's perfect peace over all victorious in its bright increase. Perfect and it floweth purpler every day. Perfect and it Him fully, all for 
516. Sarah, could I ask you to do me a favor? Could you rescue me my glasses off my dresser? I left them upstairs. Upstairs. 516. Let's do the first and the third. Will your anchor hold in the storms of life? When the clouds unfold their wings of strife. When the strong tides lift and the cables strain, when your anchor drift or firm remain, we have an anchor that keeps us so steadfast and sure while the billows roll, fastened to the rock which cannot move, rounded firm and deep in the Savior's love, it will firmly hold in the straits of fear. When the breakers have told the reef is near, though the tempest rave and the wild winds blow, not an angry wave shall our part or flow. We have an anchor that keeps our soul steadfast in shore while the billows roll. Fasten to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. All right, Brother Ted, page number 32. sing the first and the last. I sing the mighty power of God that made the mountains rise, that spread the flowing seas abroad and built the lofty skies. I sing the wisdom that ordained the sun to rule the day. The moon shines forth Savior, 822 past the index. We'll sing the first, the third, and the fifth on this one. Jesus, what a friend for sinners, Jesus, love. 
you to work in this service. Be honored and glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated and let's take a few moments and share some praises. Um, we had 84 in attendance this morning and we had two souls trust the Lord as their Savior this week. And we've been praying for that for a while and some of the ones will be will be letting them give their testimony as to who and when they got saved, so pray for that. Uh, how many of you took the time to see the basement uh, today? I know the ladies were down there for choir practice, and uh, things have been improving. You can go down and look after the service if you want, if you haven't seen it yet. And um, uh, then uh, we've had uh, Mrs. Calloway on the health list for several weeks, uh, Yo Shen, the one young lady was just baptized uh, two weeks ago. Uh, this was someone she knew, and she wrote a uh, nice little green card, put it in the offering this morning, and let us know that she's doing very well and come through the surgery, and so we praise the Lord for that. And um, one other thing is, uh, I praise the Lord, our missions giving has been better than it ever has in the history of our church. And uh, we praise the Lord for that. In fact, it's time to give some money away. Amen. Um, we have the May offering at Heartland next week. And just to give you an idea of where we are. Now, don't get overly excited because money goes fast. Amen. But uh, we wrote all the checks that are due this month. And uh, we still have over $3,400 in our missions account. Uh, now, what I'd like for us to do with that is to take a thousand of that and put it toward our missions conference in October. Uh, the more money we have saved up for our missions conference, uh, the more fun we will have in October. Amen. And uh, we need to do that. We don't 
we don't have a regular fund for our missions conference, and so as we get excess in the missions offering, we need to move that over. Uh, we have the May Heart offering at Heartland next week. We've had uh, actually uh, several hundred dollars come in designated, and uh, what I'd like for us to do is just include that in, and uh, could we give Heartland $1,500 this year? We gave them $1,000 last year, and this is also toward the building, uh, the breaking ground of the new chapel building and things, and that would be, um, uh, uh, that would be a good, good offering for our church. If we could do that, would that be all right? Any? Okay. All in favor? Amen. Any opposed? Okay. And how many of you remember missionary Dan Dunham? We supported Brother Dunham as he was starting churches in upstate New York, and then he got moved to Arizona. And uh, his support check didn't go with him to Arizona, but uh, he is starting a church down there, and they're trying to build uh, a, uh, buy a piece of property. And uh, they put out the request, uh, could we send Brother Dunham uh, $500 to help purchase that property in Arizona. Uh, we need to spread it around a little bit, and we he's still doing a good work. He's just not doing it in New York. And uh, so I was wondering if we could just help him out. Is that okay? And uh, everybody in favor? Okay, we'll do that, and we'll get those out to them. And uh, it's fun to give away money. Amen. And uh, especially when you know it's going to a good cause and uh, they're doing the Lord's work. And as we come up with other special projects and things, we will uh, let you know on those and any other praises to add to the list. Any other praises? Okay, Jennifer? Amen. Uh, Brother Ted? I'd be more worried if I wasn't a little bit nervous on visitation. Amen, Brother Mac? All right. Any other praises? Did I see any other hands? Peter? Yes. Well, actually, Brother Ledbetter's not one of our missionaries, but we love Brother Ledbetter. We sent him $1,000 to help him buy his building over there. 
So I guess he is technically. Okay. Well, praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Great preaching this morning. All right. Anything else? Brother Ted. Oh, yeah. Lord for all the helpers that we've had, all the different work that was done this week. Anything else? How many glad you're saved? Say praise the Lord. How many glad you got a book? Amen. I almost grabbed the hymn book. That would have been bad. Hymn book's good, but it's not like this book. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for all these wonderful things that you're doing. And Lord, we thank you that we can praise your name. We thank you for the ability to give. Lord, we thank you for the giving hearts that you've given our people. And Lord, we thank you for the service this morning. We thank you for bringing the Max by and the blessing they've been to us. We thank you for the privilege of standing with them in a small way on the field where you've called them. Lord, we're thankful that you've chosen to call us your brethren, that you would use us as your servants, as the messengers of your grace to the world in which we live. Lord, we're thankful that we can be just a little bit nervous as we carry the greatest truth known to mankind to the world in which we live. We're thankful that you give us grace to overcome our own fears of of other people, but Lord, we thank you that we'll never get over the greatness and the goodness of your word. We thank you for working in hearts. We thank you for the attendance this morning, and we praise you most of all, Lord, for these two that have trusted you as their Savior this week through the ministry of our church. Lord, we thank you for the work that you're enabling us to do to beautify the building and make it what it ought to be. We thank you for all the help that you've given. And Lord, we just thank you for everything that you have done. Let us never forget that we live, we breathe every ounce of strength. As the words of the song we sang, we, we borrow life from you, Lord. We thank you that we can invest it in your service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Now, I was told that you're going to play tonight. Okay. So... We're going to change the order of service just a little bit, have Becky play, and then we'll get right into the message tonight.
Heineken, which you see listed against that, the microphone, and the other is we're trying to record the services for those who can't be with us. Could have some, ooh, yeah, power. Isn't that nice? All right, uh, let's turn to Luke chapter 14. We're going to just take a few moments and and uh, review the context as as we were going through this chapter last week, and and uh, we've uh, uh, kind of looking at this chapter in the light of attitudes of the world in which we live, and and of course. Jesus dealt with those attitudes. And guess what? We got to deal with them too, amen? Uh, either you deal with them or they'll deal with you, one of the two. And uh, if you want to be defeated and discouraged, I mean, if, you know, I listen to the news and uh, it, it's bad news. I mean, things are not going the way that we want them to in many places. And even if they were, you would never find out about it unless you listen to some type of alternate media, uh, um, unless you have contacts with people who are actually there. I mean, uh, I was listening to this uh, one lady reporter. I think she was with ABC News in Baghdad. And, and you would have thought, uh, you'd have thought that it was better under Saddam Hussein than it is now listening to this lady report. And fortunately, there were a couple men who were listening who had sons, military officers and, and non-commissioned officers over there in Iraq. And they called up and they laid into her and explained that everything she said was just absolutely uh, a uh, bold-faced lie. And so uh, you have to choose what you're going to believe. You've always had to do that. And uh, it's not just running around accentuating the appositive, right? Now, is an appositive positive or is it negative? I can't remember. Uh, I think an appositive is actually negative, isn't it? Um, positive is positive, but uh, any, anyway, let's, let's move out of that ditch before I bury myself in it. Um, so... We have, we've gone through here, chapter, I mean, verse 4, chapter 14. We, we have the story of the man who had the dropsy, and the Pharisees were so concerned about their own goals and their own desires and their own sense of importance that they couldn't care a lick. They couldn't care a bit about this poor man that had a disease. That's the world we live in. People who are so concerned about themselves, what they are doing that they don't care about anybody or anything else. Then we come down to verse 7, and Jesus begins to upbraid them and, and discuss with them, when you guys came in, the thing that you were so concerned of was the pecking order or what seat you sit in, your order of importance. And, and if you have any, uh, any uh, observation uh powers at all, any ability to observe what's going on around you when you go into work Monday morning, you're going to watch people who are concerned with their importance. Uh, everybody wants to be numero uno, right? And uh, anyway, I, I just had a little joke pop into my mind. Uh, two, what was it, two Al-Qaeda agents smuggled into the United States 
and one of them started speaking the other in Arabic and uh, said, shh, you're in America now, speak Spanish. And uh, that's bad, but we need to pray for our country. We really do. Because people are concerned over where they're going to be in other people's perception. That's, that's the world. Then Jesus talked to him and said, when you invite people over to your house, when, you, uh, when you're doing stuff, when you're... He said, don't invite your rich friends so that you'll be recompensed. Don't be concerned about what your return is going to be. I mean, we stop and think. We've, we've had a lot of people in this church, in this room, are our main missions givers because they're concerned enough to be here on Sunday night. Amen? That is your money we're investing. Now, I believe the return on our missions dollars is far above anything you can get anywhere else because we will not know the extent of what those dollars do until we get to heaven. That's, that's why I am just absolutely excited about being on the board at Heartland Baptist Bible College and, and being invested in Heartland Baptist Bible College because there are hundreds of students on that campus. Now, not all of them are going to make it. But there's going to be a lot of them that go out and they're the next generations of missionaries. They're the next guys starting churches. And by the way, I'm not interested in churches that are being started uh, uh, with a purpose-driven book. Uh, amen? With, with somebody, uh, you only need one book. Until I get over this one, I don't want anybody else's. Amen? And I'm not interested in churches that are trying to build bridges to the world. We want to throw a life preserver into the raging waters of sin and drag them to the safety of the cross. Amen? I'll tell you, there's a world that's going to hell. And people are so concerned about what their return is that they can't be concerned with what God's concerned with. Amen? This is the context. Now, we're going to spend most of our time in verses 17 through 24, the parable of the great supper. And, and last week, we just reduced that to one sentence. They're concerned about who's in control and who is running the show. And then we have these verses here, or very harsh verses, where Jesus said, Whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me, uh, verse 26, if any man come to me and hate not his father and his mother and his wife and his children and his brethren and his sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, we've been through these verses before, but the word hate does not mean in comparison to my love for Jesus, my love for my wife is hate in comparison. Because that's... That's, it doesn't mean... How can you do that? You'd have to be schizophrenic. Uh, you'd have to have more than one personality. How do you hate your own life? You give it up for Jesus. Amen? How do you hate your wife? 
godly. I, I mean, I've had some people in my office that hated their wife and hated their husband. Uh, that's not what this verse is talking about, amen? What it's talking about is your future. How many parents destroy their children because they try to relive their lives in them? How many wives destroy their marriage? How many husbands destroy their marriage because they're trying to manipulate the other one to do what they want done? You know, a woman does not marry the man that she says, I do to at the altar. She's got this mental image in here that only she knows, and that's what she marries. And guys, if you ever mess that up, pack your bags. It's a done deal. Uh, You've got to be careful with what's going on up here, all right? Uh, but listen, if you will give that person to the Lord before you get married, God will give you grace to put up with them for the rest of your life. Amen? I love my wife. Because she's the one that God picked for me. Amen? I, I tried to pick one for myself. I'll tell you what. I'm glad I let God do the picking. He's got a lot better taste than I do. He really does. Uh, he knows how to do it right. It's the same way with your children. It's the same way with your family. It's the same way with your future. You have got to get your idea of what you're trying to do with your life and if you don't hate that enough, you'll be chasing your own ideas instead of serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And it will stop you from serving God. That's the context here. You've got to allow God to be take, take care of your future. You're not going to get it done. Amen? And then he talked about the, the uh, building. He said, before you start, plan to finish. If you're not going to be able to finish it, don't start it. And then he said, listen, salt is good, but if salt hath lost its savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? Worthless salt. I mean, I can't remember which, well, it's it's been a variety of little Montoros over the year, but uh, I think Philip's at that stage right now where when no one's looking, he takes the salt shaker. Now, how many of you know what happens after you lick the salt shaker? The salt gets all sticky and cruddy up in the holes, and, and then you turn over the salt shaker and nothing comes out. None of yours have ever done that, have they? Okay, I didn't think so. Missionary kids are all perfect, right? And, uh, uh, but it's worthless. It's, it's worse than worthless. Truth is a great thing. But if it's not lived, it's worse than worthless. And if you want to know one of the great problems with this purpose-driven church and with the new religion that is out there, in uh, we've had quite a few arguments and and uh, dealings in a in a fellowship of pastors, and they hold up their little paper. I believe in the twenty articles of faith, but they got a rock and roll band, not a good one, by the way. If they were good, they'd be in the nightclubs doing their stuff. 
But since they're lousy enough that they can't make it into nightclubs, they'll come to church and pretend they're Christians. They'll have a Broadway show. In fact, I know a church that I couldn't believe when I read it, except for the fact that I read it in a magazine that was printed by the fellowship that uh, we used to belong to. I, I graduated their college. High Street Baptist Church, when uh, Mel Gibson came out with his abomination called The Passion of the Christ, rented the largest movie theater in Springfield, Missouri, and held their church service in the movie theater Easter Sunday morning for people to watch an R-rated movie. Now, there's a problem with that, my friend. There is a problem with it. Salt is good. But if the salt has lost its savor, it's not even worth carrying out to the garbage heap. You certainly can't put it on the compost pile. That's what the dunghill really is. Because the salt will stop. all. It'll kill the bacteria and then you don't get any good compost. Uh, you can't do anything with bad salt. You just throw it in the way. It's worse than worthless. Now that's the context. And, um, hmm, okay, well, we may get through this or not. Uh, we'll just see what happens. Let's go to verse 15. Now we're going to focus in on this story here. It says, And when one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now, remember, Jesus is eating with the Pharisees. These are the same guys that were so concerned about trying to entrap and destroy Jesus that they couldn't care about the man with the dropsy who was there. And they were vehemently angry at Jesus for healing him on the Sabbath day. And now we have this bright bulb here, this one fella. He's going to be the mediator. Can't we all just get along? I mean, we all serve the same God. Blessed is he that eats bread in the kingdom of God. Let's just get along. Can't you understand it's Sabbath? We're not supposed to fight on the Sabbath day and argue. Let's just enjoy the... I mean, that's what he's saying, really. He's going to be one of those ones that says, listen, let's just all hold hands and praise Jesus. Hey, let me tell you, Jesus was not interested in getting along, and that's what this story is about. He was interested in giving people the truth so that when judgment day came, they would be ready to meet God. Amen. Now let's read the story here, the parable. He said, And he said unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many and sent his servant at supper time. Now that's really important. At supper time is really, really important because it sheds a light on everything else that's going on. When is supper time, my friend? It's in the evening, isn't it? It's after the day as is done. Supper time was at sunset. Now, Con Edison had not been invented in 33 A.D. 
So when the sun went down, guess what happened? It got dark. You ever been out where there's no street lamps? I mean, I like, I've, I've lived in New York City only about 15 years, and I love street lights. In fact, when I go camping, if we ever go camping, I take one of those Coleman gas lanterns and pump it up, and I leave it burn all night. I bring my street light with me. And uh, uh, it just, it's just somewhat comforting out there. I mean, when it gets really dark, uh, I, I am not afraid of the dark, not one little bit. I'm afraid of what's in the dark. That, that's what I'm afraid of. How about you? And uh, let's look on here. It says, He sent a servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all, with one consent. Now, that's important. How do you get together with one consent? Now, we're having a ladies' tea. Whatever the ladies' tea is, all I know is I need to find round tables and get them here for the ladies' tea on May 13th. And so uh, I will do my best to do that. But my wife began telling me this one's going to do this. I said, you can just, I got enough details running around in here. I'll let you, I'll get tables. I can handle that detail. And uh, uh, I'm still uh, connecting wires in my mind and all that kind of thing from downstairs and all the work that's been going on. But we had all of our ladies meet over here for, I guess, 15, 20 minutes to plan what you're going to do at the ladies' tea. That's one consent. It takes time to sit down and explain what is going on and work together to come into total agreement so that you can get one thing accomplished. And these people that were bidden to this dinner had spent time sitting together and colluding with one another and planning and convincing one another that it was in all of their best interest to snub, to make sure that they did not attend this dinner that was put on by this certain man. Now, who was Jesus talking about? <laughs> the very people he was sitting at dinner with. Now, how many of you remember the excuses? We remember the excuses. But before we get into the excuses, I do this with my children all, uh, often, especially one. I won't tell you who he is. But uh, no matter what I ask him to do, he's got to stop and discuss it. I said, now, son, if you took the time that you make me stop and discuss what I just asked you to do, you could already have it done. You don't have to stop and talk about everything because it keeps you from getting the job done now, doesn't it? If these people had taken the time that it took to convince each other and make their flimsy excuses and plan together to snub the man to dishonor the man who was bidding them to dinner, they could have gotten everything taken care of that needed to be done. 
Now it's supper time. And a servant knocks on the first door. And the first man says, I have bought a piece of ground and I must needs go see it. I pray thee, have me excused. Mm -hmm. Now I go see, I, I, if, if you, now if you want to buy a used car, you really ought to go look at the car in the dark. Because if the light shines on it the right way, you can see where the body man's been in and put the plastic and the metal ends and the fiberglass begins. Uh, but he was buying a piece of ground. Uh, they don't fake that. Uh, dirt is dirt. It's, it's just there. Uh, it's already in the evening. How is he going to get over there in the dark? How is he going to get back in the dark? And how is he going to see anything in the dark? Uh, now, either this man is really dumb or he's lying, one of the two. I had somebody call me up a while back, and I said, I said, sir, you're either grossly ignorant or you're being dishonest with me. He said, see, there you go, you hard-hearted uh, person. You, you're, you're, calling me a, a, uh, you're calling me ignorant and you're calling me a liar. I said, I am not. I'm giving you a choice. You're one or the other. He didn't like the choices. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray, have me excused. Have you ever tried? No, none of us. I don't know. Has anybody here ever yoked oxen? Oh, you have, Mariana. Uh, do you get that done in five minutes? Really? You can put the yoke on oxen very quickly and very easily. Okay. I, I just couldn't imagine yoking oxen was a simple process. Okay. So, so he actually could yoke up five yoke of oxen in, in an hour's time. But they don't move very fast when you're pulling a plow, now do they? In fact, oxen don't do anything fast. They don't even go to the feed trough fast. How's he going to do this? Plow by moonlight? I heard one preacher preach that they actually used to have little lights that they put on their shoes. Now, I don't know where he got that one from, but an oil lamp on your shoe would not do very well, I don't think. He was trying to illustrate that voice, you know, the, thy law is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. But I don't think attaching the lamps to your feet would do you any good, now would it? But if you have one of those little tiny lamps, that's all you're going to see is the next step in front of you. And by the way, that's all you need to see, amen? Amen. Now, this last guy, I've heard some guys say, well, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. And, and I've heard some people say, well, at least he had somewhat of an excuse. But let me explain this to you. You see, in the Old Testament law, in Deuteronomy chapter 24, uh, I believe is the reference, it says if you've married a wife, in the first year that you've married the wife, 
You're not to go to battle. You're not to be at charges, uh, meaning taking on responsibility and all of those things in the first year of, of your marriage. So what this guy was actually doing was he was saying, coming to your feast is the equivalent of going out and doing battle with an enemy on the battlefield. That was the greatest insult of all. This was the exact thing that God had intended for that new couple to do in their first year was to be together at social functions and to have time to be with other people. You see, even when the devil quotes the Bible, he messes it all up. Now, we have these excuses. And he showed, the, the servant comes to the master and shows him the excuses. Now, I've read this story a hundred times. And there are two words in there that I don't think I've ever gotten. Verse 21, So the servant came and showed the Lord these things. Then the master of the house, these are the two words I skipped over, being angry. I just, for some reason, just always passed over those two words. The master was angry. He had a right to be angry. You know what an excuse is, right? Somebody said it's the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. They begin to make excuse, but it was with one consent. Not one of these guys by themselves would have had enough intestinal fortitude, guts, to do this by themselves. But when they got together and started talking down about the master of the house, they found strength in numbers. That's what false religion is all about. It is convincing others to worship false gods. Their excuses are ridiculous. Now, we've got lots of excuses today. I have my own church. I'm fine, thank you. No, you don't look fine. Be careful. Uh, I, I'm all right. I always say, are you sure? I have had a few people say, well, me and the man upstairs, we got a deal worked out. When somebody tells me that, I said, no, you don't. He doesn't work out deals. He's not that game show, let's make a deal, or whatever it was way back when I was a kid. Uh, what's behind door number three? Uh, I'll tell you what's behind every one of those doors. It's the wrath of Almighty God. He was angry at the rejection of his offer. The offer, remember the man said, blessed is he that eats bread in the kingdom of God? That's the offer. And Jesus is looking there and he said, listen, the master of the house is angry because you guys are colluding together and you're encouraging each other in their rejection. And the worst part of it all is the word is diminution. It is taking something that is exceptionally value, 
valuable and counting it as worthless. That's what these Pharisees were doing. Now, the master had one word for them, and that comes down to verse 24. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. He didn't say eat. He said taste. Now, we had the windows open today, and how many of you smelled all that wonderful food coming up from downstairs during the service? Didn't get a taste. Well, that was their dinner, amen? Jesus said, you guys, you're not, you're not even going to smell the kitchen. You're not coming anywhere near my dinner. But then he goes out and he says, I want you to go out into the highways. We'll be done here in just a few minutes. Look at verse, the middle of verse 21. It says, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt or lame and the blind. He said, You go find the people who are unworthy, who would not be considered normal invitees to a get to a meal like I have provided. He said, you get the people who nobody else cares about and you bring them in. Now, not trying to be detrimental in any way, but let's just take a look around. You know what we are? We're the people that nobody else in this world cares about. But the master has invited us into the dinner. And you know what? We become his servants. And now we've got a job to do. And the servant comes back and says, listen, we've got everybody we can. It says in verse 24, And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And, he, and the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled, filled. Those are the people that's going to eat bread in the kingdom of God. We had one person get saved this week who has stood before this church in time past and said, I'm saved. Sometimes it takes a while to go through these things. We had Linda Rivera, a member of our church for eight, nine years before she finally got convicted of her need of salvation. That's what that word compelled means. It takes some time. You don't just go walk up to somebody, Hi, my name's Pete Montoro. This is the first time we've ever met. I'm, from Open, I'm the pastor of Open Door Bible Baptist Church, and I want you to be saved right now, right here, right today. Now, I know people that do that. But unless the Holy Spirit has been working in their life, they're probably not going to get saved. Did you get saved the first time you heard the gospel? 
Most of us did not. Most of us, it took time after time after time. You know, that's the most wonderful thing about church is people get those little pieces of paper and stuff them in their pockets, on their shelves, in books, and years later, they find them and say, God must be telling me something. Yeah, he is. It takes time, and that's what the word compelled is talking about. And that's, that's what we need to do, amen? We need to take the effort to compel people to come in. If somebody didn't get after you, I don't want to tell you who this is, but a person that got saved in the church, he said, he, uh, he, he said Pastor, I want to thank you for chasing me down. Now, I really didn't chase him down. But I invited him to a Bible study, per, uh, discipleship Bible study, and we began going through those things. And it was three or four weeks. He got saved. How many of you remember Uichi? Uh They were here this morning. Uh, he was here almost every Sunday morning for 18 months. And Yukari was actually out of town on a on a business trip and he comes running down the aisle with tears streaming down his face and I met him at the altar here and I said Yuichi why'd you come he says I need to get saved now to you and I that sounds almost normal but for a Japanese man that is impossible when I told brother Board the missionary in Japan that interpreted for their wedding he said, you don't know. He said, I've been in Japan for 30 years, and I don't know that I've ever seen anybody do that. He said, it's not part of their culture. It's not part of who they are. You know, God does things, amen? Now, we all wish he'd do them a little faster, don't we? But he's got a purpose in teaching us. We have to remember who we are. We're the servants. The master has prepared the meal. Everyone in this room, if you're saved, at one time you were the blind, the maimed, the poor, the halt. You were living in the highways and the hedges. You were the one that had nothing, and he invited you in. Amen? Now we get the job of servants. We get to go out, and we get to compel them to come in. That's who's going to eat bread in the kingdom of heaven. And by the way, that's how you deal with the attitudes of this world. You get yourself immersed in bringing people into the kingdom of heaven, and you don't have time to get upset by people who have their own goals. You don't have time to be... Uh, put out of joint by people who are concerned with their own position. You're not concerned with what your return on your investment is because one soul into heaven is worth more than everything that's on Wall Street. Amen. 
you're not the least bit of concerned about who's in control because you've surrendered that a long time ago. You're not seeking your plans for your future because you're too busy doing his plans. That's how you hate your own life. That's how you hate your wife biblically. Amen? And your children biblically. I mean, there's things I would like my children all to do. I don't want my son to be a daddy-called preacher. That won't do him any good. It won't do anybody else any good. I think we got that thing settled, didn't we, son? I told him what he's going to do. No. Uh, no, he, he said, I'm just not sure I can be a preacher. I said, son, you're there. Yes, that's it. Because if you think you can do it, you can't. Because it's the Lord's service, not yours. Amen? And you're not worried about what you start. You're worried about how you're going to finish. And that's heaven. Amen? And truth is real. It's not worth holding on to and playing with. It's got to be lived every day. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. We thank you for this chapter in your word. And we thank you for this story. Lord, we thank you that we can look around us and, and, and we see yesterday's, today's, tomorrow's newspaper already printed in your word 2,000 years ago. Lord, we ask that you would help us get wrapped up in compelling them to come in. Lord, we're thankful that the Macs are here and going to Ivory Coast. We can't go there. We pray that you would open the doors. We, we pray for the government there, that things would uh, get back to a point of stability and, and these workers of, of evil who are trying to uh, just, uh, uh, for whatever purpose, destabilize and destroy this nation, we pray that you would hinder their work and stop them. Lord, we, we pray for the work in Bingerville and and uh, the clinic and all of the other ministries that are there. We pray for the expansion of these things. We pray for peace in that, in that country. Lord, we, we pray for this country that you would give us grace to be your servants. We pray that you would help us to deal with the attitudes of this world by getting wrapped up in serving the master in Jesus name we pray and before we finish that prayer